0: And tonight, Psalms 90, so let's get into it right now. Um, notice how it starts. We got a heading here, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. And we've been looking at uh, a lot of Psalms from the sons of Korah, and then um, uh, uh, psalms of, a bunch of the Psalms from the sons of Asaph and Asaph himself, a few Davids sprinkled in there, and now we got a Psalm of Moses. And... Um, You know, we haven't talked about him in a lot of detail in a while. We talked about him for a long time there when we were in Numbers and Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Exodus and so forth. And so uh, if you were with us at all in any of those studies, uh, and I know a lot of you as well weren't with us for those, but you got a familiarity with the Bible. There's a lot said about Moses and uh, his life itself is a miracle. In fact, in Acts 7 this week, Stephen makes a lot of reference to Moses, and we'll talk more about him. And remember, he was born in a time of, of, uh, of, of, of uh, just an incredible trial that the Israelis were going through as Pharaoh had commanded all the baby boys born, the Israeli baby boys, to be thrown there in the Nile River. And remember those midwives fear God and they didn't do that. And We read about Moses being born and his parents taking a step of faith and hiding their child versus giving him up, and then eventually putting there in the Nile. Him being, uh, you know, God making a way and allowing him to be raised in Pharaoh's home and all the ways of the Pharaohs, the knowledge of the Pharaohs, the pleasure of the Pharaohs, and so forth. But God put it into his heart. And it's a wonderful thing when God puts things into our hearts. God put it into his heart to go visit his brethren, uh, the Hebrews. And God put it into his heart that God wanted to deliver them. And they're around 40 years old. He stood up and said, hey, God wants to deliver you. And they rejected him. And then for those next 40 years, as Moses had to flee, we see him out there in the wilderness. And I think around 80 years old, 79 years old, 80 years old, Moses had to come to the place of just saying, well, you know what, uh, you know, God's done using me and so forth. But uh, God's never done using you till you take your last breath. Because uh, God been using those 80 years to prepare Moses for really, you know, really his ministry, and it wasn't that he wasn't, you know, involved in ministry before then, but his ministry really started at 80 years old, and um, you know, it's been on my heart of mine a lot where we are today. I think that we are entering into to a different place than we've been before, and we'll get into a lot of this next week. It's 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 different. And I hate that it's the new norm and whatnot. It is different, though. Uh, And what the Lord's been putting on my heart for me and for our church, and I think really for everyone who names the name of Christ, that everything up to this point has been preparing us for right now. For right now. And, And God's calling us to be soldiers right now. And God's called us to embrace our ministries right now and not shrink back and not hold on to our lives in the sense of holding it dear to ourself, but be, to be willing to be bold for the Lord in truth, and stand up for righteousness, and not shrink back. And there's a lot of God-haters doing that right now, and being bold for their unrighteous causes and so forth. And there's not just one, there's many of them out there, all the more the people of God. It's for us time to stand up and be bold for the Lord. And just personally, I look at my life and things I've gone through, and I just hear the Lord putting a call on me and us to stand strong in the Lord and to not be gripped by fear, but to walk in faith and to fear God and not walk in the fear of the world and the wicked one and even the lies of our own flesh and so forth. And with Moses, those 80 years had happened. And it was really God prepping him for those last 40 years, because we know God would tell him to go back there to Egypt and to tell Pharaoh, it's time to let my people go. And uh, listen, leaders of superpowers don't like to listen to guys tending sheep in the backside of a wilderness, but see, he had God going before him. And when God's going before you, you're walking in the path of victory. And God brought a punishment upon Egypt. Because of their worship of those demonic gods and the rejection of God, he brought a series of plagues and so forth, and then eventually delivered the Hebrews through the shed blood of a lamb, pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And our deliverance is through the shed blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And so he was used as the deliverer. He was also used as the lawgiver, as the one that would bring those Ten Commandments and those other laws. And all those laws, you know what, you get down to the crux. The reason for those laws is to point us back to the Deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because those laws, yes, that's something that we want to strive to live by the law of God. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, indeed, we can have strength to depart from iniquity to walk in truth. But the main purpose of that law given by Moses was to show us we're lawbreakers And we need the Lord Jesus Christ who broke no laws and died for our sins and rose from the grave. So in Moses, we see pictures of Christ. He's a type of Christ. I won't read it, but it's there in your notes. Deuteronomy 18, 15, he said, the Lord God would raise up a prophet like me. And he was pointing to Jesus Christ, our deliverer. In fact, we'll talk a little bit more about that Sunday. Notice as well about the intro here, a prayer of Moses And notice what he's called, and we'll come back to the prayer in a minute, of Moses, the man of God. And listen, that's a title that we should all desire to have. The man of God, the woman of God. Wouldn't it be wonderful when people thought about you that the first thing they would think of, oh, that's a man of God. Or, oh, that's a woman of God. You know, a lot of people, you know, they strive, you know, pretty much everyone wants to be known for something. It's part of Adam's sin when he wanted to be God himself, and so there's a, there's a big fat ego in all of us. We want to be known, and I think it's one of the reasons for the immense popularity of social media, as people striving, you know, for, not everyone, but, you know, for, I want to be known, you know, look what I had for dinner, and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and, and I do believe that, I mean, in Christ, we're known by God. Is there anything greater than that than to be known by God? to be known as a son or daughter of God who has faith in Jesus. But our, hopefully our desire is to be known as a man of God, a woman of God, with the emphasis on God. Not on us, but the fact that we follow the Lord, and not for our glory, but hopefully we're shining for His glory. And that starts by having faith in Him, uh, being in Christ, recognize that, that we're sinners and again as Christ lived the sinless life and died for our sins and rose from the grave, as already touched on in prayer, we've already touched on And our study, that we are saved by faith in Him, uh, by receiving His grace and trusting our life in Him. And that's where it all starts. Outside of that, uh, we stand in our own righteousness, and it's as filthy rags. But in Christ, to be in the Lord is to be righteous before the Father, to be in right standing before the Father through the life of Jesus. And it starts there, and then He's called us to walk with Him, to walk in the light as He is in the light, to abide in Him. I thought of uh, when I read this, and I know we're just in the intro, but we'll get into this here, into, the, into the, the crux of the psalm here, but I thought of when I read that, the man of God, what came to my mind was First Timothy 6, 10 through 12, as I thought about, you know, came to my mind, I want to be known as a man of God, and maybe I am by a few and by some others, maybe not, they, you know, maybe that's my fault, maybe that has to do with the way they think, I don't know. I know in Christ I'm a man of God, covered by grace. And then I want to walk worthy of that call. I want to work that out practically. And so what's that kind of look like? Just kind of a quick side note. Look at 1 Timothy six, ten through 12. It says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But then notice verse 11, but you, O man of God, Flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And again, in Christ, we're men and women of God. And then God wants us to go walk in who we are in him. And right here, we see that involves fleeing from those things that God has saved us from not pursuing those things anymore. And it's not that money is evil. It's not. It's the love of money. Money can be used for many wonderful, wonderful, good things. Listen, that AC you're feeling right now is a result of money. That's not free, just so you know. The chairs you're sitting in building. So it's not that, but it's the love of those things. And then notice those things pierce us through. And it's really the love of anything over Jesus Christ. So men and women of God flee those things. And Moses did that. He he left those riches of Egypt to suffer with the people of God for the greater reward of the salvation found in faith in him. Also, listen, men and women of God, they flee those things and then they follow after or they pursue righteousness and godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. And those are all found in Christ. Those are found in the word of God. You're here tonight, I, I, I hope, because... You are following after those things. You're wanting more of the Lord in your life. So they flee those things that the Lord has saved us from. They follow those things the Lord has called us to. And then notice verse 12 they fight the good fight. They don't walk in fear, they walk in faith. And then I love it here. It talks about they hold to the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. They're not ashamed of the gospel. And then notice as well a prayer of Moses. Men and women of God as well, they are men and women of prayer. You know, they pursue God in prayer. And Moses, Moses is found in prayer over and over and over and over and over, a whole bunch more overs, and I'm not exaggerating, in prayer in the Scriptures. Even when the Lord comes to him and he's there, you know what, tending sheep and whatnot and the burning bush he enters into prayer with God, working things out and so forth, hearing what God has called him to do. And throughout that time of going to Pharaoh, he keeps going back to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Lord, it wasn't supposed to happen like this. Just do what I told you to do. It will work out, God tells him. Going over again. Oh, the people, they want to get me, God. That would be a prayer he would repeat many, many times. And then it would be God saying, I'm going to smite these people. And Moses praying, oh, Lord, don't do that, being a type of Christ interceding for them as, praise God, Jesus intercedes for us tonight. And a man who, again, would be a man dwelling in the presence of the Lord so often in prayer. How's your prayer life tonight? And I don't don't say that to try to throw a guilt trip on anybody. If there's a conviction there, praise God, receive it. But then do something about it. Beef up your prayer life. If you remember anything tonight, remember that. Beef up your prayer life. Spend more time with the Lord in prayer. I love 1 Timothy 2.8. I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Men, and I think God's fine with women doing that as well. (laughs) Now, this prayer itself, quick overview, we're going to see Moses just bringing great praise to God in in giving glory to God for his attributes, talking about him being everlasting, talking about him knowing all things, talking about how to the Lord a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. Peter got that from this prayer that God gave to Moses. It's amazing how much of the Old Testament is in the New Testament and how the New Testament fulfills the Old Testament. We're also going to see this call from the Lord to return to Him, to live for Him, because indeed He is coming soon. And amazingly, in this Psalm, it talks about the coming of the Lord, not only the first coming, but also the second coming. So that's a big intro there, but I think there's a lot of things laid on my heart that hopefully, you know, have already, has already encouraged you and, and has exhorted us in areas. So let's get into it. And, and we'll go through it, you know, at a good pace. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all our generations. And as I just read that, oh, to dwell in the presence of the Lord. Listen to just a few verses on this, and we'll get into verse 2. But Psalm 140, 13, surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. And then notice, the upright shall dwell in your presence. It's another thing men and women of God do. They dwell in the presence of God. Now, listen, if you're in Christ He's with you to the end of the age. He doesn't leave us nor forsake us. So, you know, you can say, oh, Lord, come, bring your presence in. And in a way, well, if I'm there, God's there because God will never leave us nor forsake us. The other side of that, though, is the picture of dwelling there or abiding there. Because remember the church of Laodicea, they are called the church. I think there's a lot in that church that actually don't know the Lord, but they're called a church There's a recognition, there's some there that know the Lord in Revelation 3, but where's Jesus? He's outside knocking because obviously they're not dwelling in his presence, they're dwelling in their own opinions. And this is really that call to abide in the Lord, to abide in him that we would bear fruits of the Holy Spirit, to dwell in his presence in prayer and worship in the word. As we go throughout our daily routine, we're remembering the Lord's with me. And so as I go into the store to do whatever, Lord, go before me into this place. Let me represent you. Help me look to look beyond the things I got to pick up for dinner and whatnot and whatever's going to come my way to see as I go in here as you see that there'll be someone for me to minister to or just pray for. Hopefully, you know what, as we live in a small community and probably half the people in here know me, and I might only know a quarter of them, but a quarter of them know me that I... Don't know, they would see me behaving in a way that would bring you glory, that would come from abiding in you even in this place. Maybe you're saying, "But oh, but you know what? Yeah, that sounds too religious or too heavy. Well, listen to Psalm 1611. "You You will show me the path of life, and then he says, in your presence is fullness of joy. That sounds good, doesn't it? Fullness of joy. Not a little joy, fullness of joy. And yet our flesh, the world, the enemy, or soul... Lies to us so often, and we listen to those lies, you know, go spend time with the Lord. You're going to find more joy over there. And there's passing pleasures, and there's even things God gives us to enjoy which are fine. Again, we got freedom in the Lord, but fullness of joy is found in His presence. There's nothing that compares to spending time with the Lord. And then Psalm 72, he says, Let my vindication come from your presence, and we're going to be vindicated, not from us, but from the presence of the Lord and the shed blood of the Lord. That's something that we have to look forward to. You know, all this talk of, you know, injustices in the earth, and, and there are a lot of, you know, things that are unjust and so forth, and if you're going to follow the Lord, guess what? You're going to get some things that happen to you that aren't just. Uh, have you read about our Savior? And some of the things they did to him. And it's easy to get into a place like, I want vindication, God. Oh, bring your wrath. Bring your vengeance. Slow down when you start doing that. And remember, it's only the grace of God that saves you from any of that. And then just rest and listen. My vindication, it ain't going to come for me but the presence of the Lord. Man, you can, really, you can really lay down a lot of weight that you need to. If you're walking around with that, just pour out the wrath. We want to be aware of the wrath of God and remember people need to be delivered from it, but let's remember that's where I once was and it's only the shed blood of Jesus. And The Bible does talk a lot about God avenging his saints. It's there in the scriptures. He's a just judge, but ultimately that vindication, it only comes from him. And then notice here He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. And all generations, and all generations, and you know what? Tonight in Christ, that dwelling place is available to all of us here, even to this generation. This generation that, you know, it has founded a new country in the middle of our country, up there in Seattle, the Choppites or whatever they call themselves now. You look at that and isn't it, it just breaks your heart. There's an anger that comes from that as well as there should be, but be angry and don't sin. Don't let that sin birth sin in you. Pray for them, speak truth, stand for godly principles and so forth, but also remember, also remember the Lord is offering his presence to them if they would get on their knees and call out to Jesus Christ. Keep that proper balance. And go easy on the jokes. Man, I know this is easy to pile them up, man. It is. And There's a place for some sarcasm. It's found in the Word of God, but don't let it harden your heart by going too deep into that stuff. Verse 2, he says, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. This is like one of those scriptures. People ask, well, if God made the world, then who made God? Dun, dun, dun. I got you. Where did God come from? He has always been, and he will always be. Before the mountains, before the earth was framed, he is everlasting to everlasting. See, we know beginnings and endings. God has no beginning. God has no ending. Can you wrap your mind around that? I cannot tonight, but I can rejoice in that. I can rejoice that he's everlasting. And in that as well, we should rejoice that he's never changing. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. James 1, 17 says, in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning... What if he was like continually moody and always changing? Oh, where are we going to get from God today? Oh, my goodness. He's all loving, all knowing, perfectly just. Sometimes I step, step back and I think, what if God wasn't like that? What if he wasn't like that? There's one like that that's that in the sense he's not like him. His name's Satan. <laughs> he wanted to be God and it didn't work out. <laughs> And listen, despite our sin, he's made made a way for us to dwell with him forever. You know, in Christ Jesus, we have everlasting life. And again, we can't wrap our minds around that. Notice verse 3. You turn man to destruction, and I say, return, O children of men. Man chose to sin in the garden. And so God gave him over to the wages of sin, which is destruction. God said to Adam, if you eat of this tree, the day you eat of it, you're going to die. And the serpent had come along and villainized God. Did God really say if you eat of it, you'll die? He knows the day you eat it, you'll be like him. A man ate of that tree, and indeed, death set in. Death set in. Listen, all this craziness going on in the world, we're all responsible for our own sin, but you know where it all started? When Adam ate of that fruit, what are you thinking, Adam, why'd you do that? Well why do we do what we do? (laughs) The wages of sin is death, practically and spiritually, man was turned over to destruction. But what did God do? He gave the promise of his son and his son came and he cries out, return, O children of men, come to me and I'll give you life. What an awesome God. Have you come to him as your Lord? Can you say amen to that tonight? Verse 4, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passed, and like a watch in the night. See, God, and, and these are things that, again, it's hard for us to comprehend, but God is with us. In Christ, he's in us, but he dwells outside of time and space. He sees everything. This is why Isaiah 46, 9 and 10 say this, remember, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, that which are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do my pleasure. And I've, I heard it years ago illustrated like this, and I think it's an awesome illustration, though our earthly illustrations still can't paint the picture of heavenly truths, but they can help us comprehend it is the picture of, of, you know God being up here and don't take me out of context, I'm not God, but being up here and, and looking down over us down here, and, and it'd be like someone looking up at a building at a parade, and down there on that corner, you can only see what's in front of you, but up here you can see the whole parade. And God can see the whole parade again, and in that. We're down here, this, in, in, in a day, you know, in another day, in a week, in a month, and to God, a day is like a thousand years because he sees the whole thing. And this is how he can declare the end from the beginning and is 100% accurate because there's nothing he doesn't know. And so this is why you got to be cautious when someone says, thus saith the Lord, and it doesn't happen. They didn't hear from the Lord because God never gets it wrong. And this is why as well, and this is wonderful tonight, that in Christ, we can rest in the assurances of God because he has seen how it ends. And in Christ, hear this, it ends well. It ends well. Even this big ramp up we're in right now to the new world order, this big ramp up right now of little men puffing up their chest and trying to act like they're a god. It doesn't end well for those that don't bend knee to Christ. For those who have bent knee to Christ, it ends well. We are victory. We have victory and we're victorious in Christ Jesus. And this is why as well, we know the Lord doesn't delay in his coming. And I'm not going to read it, but 2 Peter 3, 1 through 9, Peter brings reference back to this prayer of Moses where he talks about how in the last days, scoffers will come, and they'll say, where's the promise of his coming? And he says they willfully forget that God destroyed the earth before out of water, and he's preserving it now to be destroyed by fire. And then he says in verse 8, but beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, and this is incredible here, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that he is compassionate? And I don't know about you, but I've had a lot more thoughts lately and a lot more days of like, okay, Lord, we're ready. We're ready, Lord. Maranatha, I'm ready, God. That means come soon, Lord Jesus. And the Lord says, slow down, Steve. I'm not willing that any would perish. The door is still open to the ark. There's folks that I see that are still going to get saved. They're going to call on my name. And so what should that say to us? Let's be about the business of evangelism. You want to see Jesus come sooner? Then get a big stack of those tracks out there and start passing them out and sharing the gospel with more people. I'm going to get them here faster than anything. Verse 5, he says, you carry them, and the them here is from verse 3, the children of men, you carry them away like a flood. They are all, they all like, a, they, they are like sleep, in the morning they are like grass which grows up, in the morning it flourishes and grows up, in the evening it's cut down and wither, and this compares fallen man to everlasting God." This is where again Peter, I think Peter must have read this Psalm as the Holy Spirit moved on him to, you know what, write his epistles. Peter said in 1 Peter 24 of the first epistle, he says, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is as the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower fades away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. He quoted Isaiah there, but Moses speaks of it here as well. And he's saying here, listen, we come and we go. We're like a shadow. It's like right now, I don't know how many of you guys are into lawn care, but right now is the season where your grass grows like Crazy. Where I got to mow like every fifth day, not every seventh. I'm, I'm meticulous with my lawn. Where it doubles right now in like five days. And listen, I wasn't a lazy, lazy sluggard in the winter. I fertilized that thing and mulched it over and over again. And now it's just like, kaboom. But in five days, it doubles. And guess what happens? I come through with a blade and I cut it down. And he says, our life's like that it comes and it goes. You plant grass, you know, it, in, 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 in the dirt, and if you do it right, with just in a few days, it starts to germinate and comes up, and then not long later, it gets cut down. We come and we go. Praise God, His Word endures forever. This is comparing us to God, our humanity versus His holiness and Him being deity. Verse 7, he says, for you, for we have been consumed by your anger and your wrath, and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sin, in the light of your countenance. And make no mistake, God loves sinners, but God hates sin. The writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews twelve twenty nine, our God is a consuming fire. We have been consumed by your anger And by your wrath, we are terrified. He is the God of love, and he is the God of wrath. Sin will not enter into his kingdom. People seem to have forgotten that today. Oh, he's just a God of love. He ain't going to judge. It's a summer of love. Do what you will. Let's just embrace the motto of Satanism. We'll bring it right into the church. Do as you will. God loves you. Accepts you as you are. No, he doesn't. He only accepts you through faith in Jesus Christ, who bore the wrath to you and bore the wrath to me. That is the only out. Period. Faith in Jesus Christ. Because if I stand before God under the law, I will be damned to hell because I have transgressed it over and over and over again. But Jesus never did. And in faith in him, I am under grace, I am under his shed blood. And I have salvation, and so do you in him." Amen. But this is a verse that should make our knees knock, should make us praise him, should make us be real with him and honest with him. Our iniquities are set before him. Our secret sin is in the light of his countenance. This is a good one for the goody-two-shoes They say, well, I don't, you know, I'm a good person. You run into people like that still today. They think they're without sin. It's crazy. They win some humanitarian reward or something, and they puff themselves up. And it's like, you know what? God knows your secret sins. There's been a lot of folks even in our community over the years. I remember years ago there was someone, and I don't know where he is now. I hope the man's repented. But there was someone down there that they won the citizen of the year. Turned out, dude, been molesting kids for years. And God will forgive a molester and he will cover their sin by His shed blood if they fall on their face. But here's this dude walking around. Oh, I received that reward, shook the hand with the photo op, probably put it up there on the counter in his office so everyone could see it. And God knew those secret sins. And boy, you talk about secret sins. But he knows our pride. He knows our plotting. He knows those things that again bubble up in us that are just driven by lust. Oh man, we should run and hide like Adam. But again, there's a better option, Jesus Christ. Romans 4, 7, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sin are covered. Blessed Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Again, if you're in Christ tonight, you are blessed. And if you're not, Your knees should be knocking right now. Oh, you're going to scare people to Jesus, Steve. Yeah, that's the point of this verse here. It's called the fear of God. It's called being fearful that I'm going to be judged for my secret sin, for transgressing God's law. Yeah, that should bring you to your knees and get you to call out to the Lord for a saving grace. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Man, part of the drove me to Christ was, I don't want to go to hell. That don't sound pleasant. I got demons torturing me right now. I don't want to spend forever there. Reading those Jack Chick tracks when you're a kid and you see that picture of hell, it does scare the hell out of you. I'm like, I want to get the hell out of there. I want to get right with the Lord. Oh, Steve, you're getting crass now. Praise God. We got freedom in Jesus. I'm not trying to abuse it, but that's the truth of the matter, man. Verse 9, for all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are 70, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and will fly away. You know, when people pass, It's in part a picture of the wrath of God, and that Adam ate of that tree, and part of the judgment came. You're going to die in this life, and listen, God doesn't take pleasure in death, not even the death of the wicked, and he says it's his saint's death is precious in his sight because we go to be in his presence, but death and disease and sin and war and abuse and human trafficking and all this stuff, it's the result of man's sin, and a curse came on this earth, and we're getting a little taste of the wrath of God. We finish our years like a sigh. Well, that don't sound, you know, too encouraging. Life gets hard, doesn't it? There are times you have a day where it's like, or you just sigh, fallen world. Seventy or 80 years, it speaks of, give or take a little, you know what, in most cases. A sigh, Job 5.7, man's born for trouble, the sparks fly upward. Don't, don't worry, the psalm gets better here. And then how vain to make your boast of your time here, your labor, your sorrow. Most labor, you know what it is, is just moving stuff around. You start thinking about You're just moving stuff around. Moving information around. Moving stuff around. Moving food around. Product around. The great athletes, they just moved the ball around. That's all it is. We're going to make our boast. We move stuff around. So what when it's all said and done? Now, if we're doing our labor under the Lord, there's a great reward in that. Whether anyone saw what you moved or what you didn't move. But 70, 80 years, and he says, our boast, it's soon cut off, and we fly away. It's a shadow. It's a vapor. We fly away. Listen, it's true in the sense of judgment that all roads lead to God. They all lead to the judgment of God. Only one road leads in. It's faith in Christ. But we die, and we go to the judgment of God. We fly to it. Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed for men to die once, and after this, the judgment. Now, praise God in Christ, we got a Redeemer. Praise God, we have entrance through faith in Him. And praise God in Christ, we have the hope of the Lord coming for His church and taking us away. And indeed, it will be a glorious flight. Those dead in Christ spiritually will come back. Their bodies will be resurrected. They'll fly first. And then it says, we'll be caught up in the twinkling of an eye. It's part of our blessed hope. Verse 11, who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. And then he says, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Again we're ignorant to these things. We 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 kind of we we see birth, we see death. But until you really taste it, until you die, it's hard to understand, isn't it? It's easy to think, I'm I I'm, you know what? It's easy to think I'm going to get up tomorrow and do this and that, I'm going to do this thing next and so forth. But a day's going to come when that ceases for all of us. These are thoughts a lot of people don't want to think about. But in that, Moses says, Lord, teach us to number our days, to understand we're here for a short time, to number our days that we would gain a heart of wisdom. We'll be wise in our days here. We'll do like Ephesians 5.15, walk circumspectly and not as fools. Romans 10 or excuse me Romans 13:11, we'll redeem the time or excuse me, we'll 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 wake out of our sleep speaks of there. Verse 16 of Ephesians 5 redeeming the time. This isn't a call for a death wish. This isn't a call for you know what, be Joe depression, oh I'm going to die one day. Listen, rejoice in the days you have in the Lord. They're a gift from God. But know they're going to be short-lived. Let's be wise in them and serve God because now's the day of labor. Now's the day of serving God. Now's the day to stack up reward in heaven, to be about his business. And he says, teach us to number our days that we won't move as fools but would gain a heart of wisdom. We'd be wise with our time. Because it's short lived. And then verse 13, he cries out, Return, O Lord, with a big old exclamation point. How long, with a big old question mark, and have compassion on your servants. Return, O Lord. It's Moses saying, Maranatha, return, O Lord. And I think he wasn't just looking at the first coming, but the second coming, the return of the Lord. He's coming back soon. Listen, I know it on good authority. He's coming back soon. You know who told me? Jesus did. Revelation 22, three times, he says, behold, I'm coming quickly. And then it ends with, come soon. Come soon, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. And how long? How long? Until he says, now. That's how long. (laughs) But we're to be looking. We're to be about his business. And then he says, have compassion on your servants. And boy, we need that. Be compassionate on us, Lord. Be merciful to us. Help us along, Lord, as we, Lord, want to serve you. And then almost done here, verse 14. Oh, satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. So again, it's a fallen world. There's going to be some afflictions in this world. Is this saying God directly afflicted me? There's times when he corrects us. This also speaks, though, of the affliction that came upon man when he sinned. God said, you're going to get afflicted. if, If you eat of that tree, Affliction's coming. It's a fallen world. A lot of evil in this world. Moses saw a lot of evil in his world. Can you imagine Moses, I mean, growing up in the house of Pharaoh? that's rank wickedness. You know, you might have this idea like, you know, this Egyptian stuff you've seen and whatnot and, and hieroglyphics and so forth. You can see some of the hieroglyphics spoken of in the scripture. These guys worship demons nonstop. They practice incredibly, you know, a great amount of sin to the point where they weren't ashamed of it anymore. He saw that. And they didn't even saw the wickedness of the people of God coming down Mount Sinai and seeing them having heaped up this golden calf and said, this is our God. And it alludes to basically an orgy breaking out right there amongst the people of God. And you look around our world today, and there is such rank evil that is propped it up as supposing to be acceptable and normal, just wickedness, and we're bombarded by it day in and day out. And then someone says, how much worse can I get? A whole lot worse. A whole lot worse. We're seeing it. Um, he said, oh, those last days were like the days of Noah, the days of of Sodom, the days of Lot there in Sodom, where all the men from all the quarters came out and surrounded that house And send those fellows out here that we may know them carnally. Listen, I'm not trying to get all grotesque or something, but we, we got to deal in realities here and truths here. It's like, we're going we're gonna to force this on you, whether you like it or not. We're going to force it. And we don't see that necessarily happening in that sense, but we see it happening in a lot of other senses, don't we? We're going to shove this down your throat whether you like it or not. And it's on a massive uptick right now. Satan's roaring like a dragon right now. He's not slithering like a, you know what, a a, a snake not wanting to be seen. He's roaring like a dragon and saying, here I am. What are you going to do about it? Well, I like verse 14, satisfy me early with your mercy that I may rejoice and be glad all my days, even in the midst of affliction and evil. I want to rejoice in the Lord because the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's not a call to shrink up in the corner and go, woe is me. It's a call to say, I'm going to rise up and give praise to my God and stand up in this hour that he has appointed us to live in. You're privileged people to live in this hour, whether you know it or not. Verse 16, let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. So he's saying, let, let us see your work. Let us see the hand of God in our lives. Let us see the glory of God. And I cry, Lord, let your glory fall on your church. In the midst of all this rigmarole and this nonsense, my prayer is, Lord, let Let us see your mighty hand go forth. And I'm seeing some promising signs of the work of God. I see God stirring individuals' hearts. I even rejoice when I, and I don't make a point of doing this, but when I hear a report of The Bible trending at number one on the old Twitter feed. And I even rejoice when I see something like Bill Gates and Mark of the Beast, you know what, trending high on the Twitter feed because people are thinking Mark of the Beast, that's biblical. What days are we living and praying God? I hope and pray these folks are considering their latter end. And they want to get sealed with the Holy Spirit versus bending knee to this beast system that is rapidly approaching. Let your glory fall, Lord. Let us see it. I think we've seen it tonight in worshiping God. Opening the word of God, this is a glorious chapter. God's word is glorious. I'm being ministered to right now as we're going through this passage. Verse 17, we'll close with it. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Again, in a dark world that's marked by a lot of evil, Lord, let your beauty be upon us. Again, for your glory. When I think of the beauty of the Lord being upon us, I think of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22, in the biblical context of what these things are, love and joy and peace and long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, as defined by the Bible. Well, I love everyone. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. (laughs) You got a desire to serve God. I'm talking about this perverse as long as it doesn't hurt me or anyone else that's loving, when it all, all it does is hurt everyone else. When it's sinful, it hurts everyone else, whether you know it or not. Well, they just do what they do over there, it's their bedroom. They're coming against God's plan of homes and marriages and children being raised in homes. Part of the turmoil in the inner city, you know what it's from? Well, it doesn't hurt anyone, you know, that fornication. Yeah, it does. When kids don't have dads around raising them, it hurts them desperately. And it's not to say God can't equip the single mom or dad to raise their kids in the Lord. He can. But out in this world, it's devastating. Lord, let the fruits of the Spirit be upon us. Let us walk in the truth of your love. And then establish your work, again, the work of our hands uh, for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And again, this is talking about an eternal work here. The work's just done here, not under the Lord. That ain't going to be established. That's not wood, hay, and stubble that burns away. First Corinthians 3, it's all going to be put to a fire there's those established works that are going to last, those crowns given in glory that we take and put at his feet to glorify him. That's what we should be striving for, living for, unto him and so forth. And we need his help, it; he wants to give it. Lord God, we praise you. We thank you, God. Thank you for your word. It is good, Lord. Thank you for the encouragement, God, of your scriptures. Thank you that you are everlasting to everlasting. Thank you that you're compassionate. Thank you that you say, return to me. Come to me. Let me wash you and forgive you and cleanse you. We thank you for that, Lord. And we thank you that you are a just judge. Oh, Lord, I thank you that you hate sin. I thank you. I thank you so much you hate it. And yet you love sinners and have made the way for our sin to be washed. Lord, let us leave here tonight built up in you. God, if, Lord, through the passage here, there's been rebukes, let us receive those, God, and receive correction from you, Lord. Where there's been edification, Lord, let us walk in, Lord, your word where it's built us up, where we've been equipped, God, we're equipped to go do the work. Let us not be equipped not to do the work, but to go do the work now. Lord, if there's any here tonight that don't know you, if they haven't already, I pray this evening they'd call on your name. Listen, if that's you, the scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's asking Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Listen, that's not a small thing at all. That's you yielding to him. That's you saying, God, I surrender. Jesus, be my Lord. I bend knee to you. I confess you as Lord. Lord, This ain't for a five-minute prayer for fire insurance. I'm asking you to be the Lord of my life all my days. It's no longer do as I will. Lord, I want to follow you. Teach me to do what you would have me to do. Wash me in my sin and save me, and he will. He will. Lord, bless the rest of our night, our fellowship, the kids as they're finishing up. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name, and we said together, amen. Amen. God bless you.